0: Kevin Harrington, an original shark in the hit TV show Shark
1: Tank, I'm also the inventor of the infomercial and an As Seen on TV. Dove is a special uh, entrepreneur, Uh, he does amazing podcasts, but he's also a speaker and a consultant. Hi, I'm Sal Sylvester, I'm the author of Unite, The Four Mindset
0: Shifts for Senior Leaders and founder of Coach Metrics. He's a thought leader in the field, fantastic author, he's got an amazing radio show. Hello there, my name is Brett Trapp. I'm a creative consultant living in Atlanta, Georgia, also the creator of Blue Babies Pink. Uh, This guy has written books, has a successful podcast, uh, and is absolutely changing the game when it comes to leadership and leadership development. Hey guys, Cameron Brown here, founder of The Thriving Collective. I travel the world helping people make a greater impact. Dov is just an outstanding character, Uh, high quality guy, authentic guy, uh, master on leadership.
1: My name is Chris Stoikos, founder of thebeardclub.com. And I'd just like to say that Dove has a very, very unique approach to working with businesses. Hey, this is Derry, I'm John Kavala Davis, a.k.a. The Strategy Man. And if I'm going to describe Dove in three words, it's going to be courageous, deep, and conscious. And that's exactly what you need for leadership right now. Hey guys, this is Devon Harris, original member of the Jamaican Bobstead team, three-time Olympian, author, speaker, philanthropist, he is one of the most amazing guys you'll ever meet, an amazing interviewer, but at the same time, an amazing speaker.
0: Hi, I'm Nate Regeer, CEO and co founding partner of Next Element Consulting, a global leadership training company specializing in conflict communication. You know, the more I get to know Dov Barron, the more I admire his authenticity, his genuine commitment to something that I share deep in my heart, which is this notion of authentic communication. I'm Jared Nichols. I'm a futurist, executive advisor, host of the NSBA podcast, The Road Ahead, and also president of the Jared Nichols Group. Dov is uh, an outstanding thought leader when it comes to leadership and the traits and the qualities of leadership that are going to be necessary to succeed in the 21st century. Hey everybody, Coach Brew here, best-selling author of Stadium Stabness, taking your business to the big time. If I had to describe Dov in three words, it would be expertise, genuine, and heart-centered leader. I'm John Burgoth, the president of Flourishing Leadership Institute, where
1: we enable communities and organizations. He has a finger on the pulse of what the future is asking for from leaders. Hey, this is Jordan Harbinger of the Art of Charm podcast. Dov Barron is a great host with insightful perspective, he understands what makes people tick and he can get to the heart of the matter in an entertaining and educational and informational way.
0: Hi, I'm Joshua Miller and I am the author of
1: the new book, I Call Bullshit, Live Your Life Not Somebody Else's. Dov Barron to me, when you talk about authentic leadership and cutting through the bullshit, there's nobody I would trust to go to than Dov Barron.
0: Hello there, I'm Mike Glauser. I've been studying entrepreneurial leadership for more than 20 years. He really knows how to teach authentic leadership and that's one of the most important things today in leading organizations.
1: Hi there, my name is Rick Barker. I am the founder of the Music Industry Blueprint. I help people navigate the music business. He had made me aware of some things that were quite visible, but were still hidden.
0: I'm Tom Billiu, co-founder of Quest Nutrition and Impact Theory. Dov is absolutely amazing. I really enjoyed my time. A, he knows the guests before they come on, which is absolutely critical. But B, this guy, most importantly, has intensity, well thought out ideas, often counterintuitive, which is what makes him great. Hi, I'm Tim Sanders, author of the book, Love is the Killer App, How to Win Business and Influence Friends. His perspective is laser sharp about the things that
1: matter. Here's what I'm curious about, creative expression. When I was a kid, my art was in a gallery by the time I was 11. My mediums were the same as artists, had been for centuries, it was oil paints and canvas. Today, because of technology and the digital market, the digital media art, more specifically creativity seems to have limitless expression. I'm deeply curious about creativity, where it's going, its impact, and how it's gonna change the way we see the world. I'm Darv Varen, I'm your host here at Curiosity Bytes find out more about hiring me as a speaker or strategist for your organization you can go on over to fullmontyleadership.com forward slash speaking or fullmontyleadership.com forward slash consulting and this episode is brought to you by the awesome music project connecting music science and story to enhance mental health find out more about the awesome music project and amp foundation, go to theawesomemusicproject.com. All right, let's jump down on another episode. My guest on this episode is John Couch. John Couch is currently the vice president of product design at Hulu. You may have heard of those. Uh, where Where he recently led a successful 2017 redesign of the Hulu experience across mobile, living room, and web. Now he is leading the design of the future for next generation storytelling in emerging platforms and formats. He launched his career, design career, at uh, Wired Magazine, where he shared an office with Canadian artist and author Douglas Copeland. Uh, he moved to LA, taking leadership roles at the Museum of Contemporary Art. He also worked for CBS and eBay before landing at Hulu. However, As you'll discover, there's far more to this man than an outstanding resume. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and help me welcome the author and man leading the art of the creative rebellion, Mr. John (laughs) Couch.
0: Wow. Thank you very much for that introduction. That was awesome. Uh, Thank you for having me, Doug.
1: Hey, John, I'm really glad you're here. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. Um, You know, you and I had a chat, what was it, a couple of months ago? Yeah. You know, and just there's so much about you that is not on the surface of, you know, the resume. So let's just start there. Tell us something about, you. tell our listeners, our viewers, something about you that is not part of the standard resume that might even surprise people.
0: Well, I mean, probably one of the influential things that happened for me was I I did martial arts, and I think you also have done martial arts. And and when I started out in uh, judo uh, in Japan when I was around nine years old, and ultimately Aikido was the thing that probably influenced me the most philosophically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a bit of a cliche the idea of using Aikido in you know in corporate world, but actually it helped a lot. It helped sure. you know, learning how to center, learning how to not overreact when things are going sideways, and learning how to not fe- you know meet force with force, but actually meet you know force with yielding to it and redirecting it. Mm-hmm. So you know philosophically that was a huge influence on me. But it was interesting to hear you say that you um, had done uh, your first exhibition at eleven. Yeah, is that right? Wow, it is. What's well, interesting, you know, because in terms of creativity, um, a lot of the thinking that we do in digital media. Um, I insist starts on paper, that all the thinking starts on, you know, using paper, pen, markers, glue, whatever it is, because I am a strong advocate that the actual thinking of the creative process has to start with an analog medium. Mm -hmm. The moment you get into digital, and it's really weird, you'd think that you'd be more loose with it, but I find that people immediately start getting high resolution, because the moment you get into working in sketch or Photoshop or whatever you're using, you immediately start being, uh, all possibilities have gone out the door and you're suddenly going into this high resolution design almost immediately. Whereas if you are working on paper or post-it notes or whatever, you can kind of be sloppy and allow potentiality to kind of like more freedom for you to think on a larger larger scale. So most thinking that we start out with like uh, in design tends to be on a whiteboard. Mm. you know and had tends to be like with large butcher blocks of paper and markers and then you think it out so i also started out in art you know in in painting yeah and art is very different than design in that art you know essentially asks a question and design answers questions that's Uh, an interesting thought yeah you know to me design is more utilitarian it's Mm -hmm. more you know whether it's graphic design which is trying to Um, instruct a person on how to do something Mm -hmm. or, you know, communication design, which is communicating uh, product design, which is there from a user experience perspective to make you easier for you to get, let's say in my case, watch a video. That's all very utilitarian. Right. Whereas, you know, art by its very nature um, is questioning and it's asking you to think what the answer could be. uh, Whereas, you know, design supplies the answer. So, um, for me, a lot of my, uh, thinking and design actually came out of my background, which is also in art. So really even now I actually paint. So,
1: yeah, I know. I mean, I'm, I'm going to come to that in a bit. Cause I, yeah. I thought it was really interesting. We spoke about last time, but you know, I, I want to, this is a fundamental belief of mine that I read. It's not my own. I read it somewhere when I was in my twenties and I, which is a couple of weeks ago now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I remember reading this and thinking how true it was. Um, And the quote was that the world, we think the world is changed by old white men with white hair. And the truth is that the world is changed by women and artists. Women whisper in the ears of their children and their children become artists who say the things and do the things that political people cannot. And I just thought that was like, wow, that really was profound for me. Because artists we can we can paint, we can draw, we can as you know, comedic artists or singers and songwriters, you know, whatever the art form is, there's there's a there's a chance to ask a question mm-hmm. that is not asked or make a bold statement that is not made because it's politically incorrect in so, even in the in, in the the context of whatever the time is, you know. So I just I. I think there's a lot to be said there about that.
0: Yeah, no, I I totally agree. I I think that um, my creative process has always involved my wife, um, Mm. you know, to your point. And um, there's no way, for example, that I could write a book or work on my artwork without the cooperation and alignment of my partner in life. Mm. Um, You know, it has to be something that's done in harmony together. And what I found is that like, and as I'm writing not only nonfiction, but fiction, that my sounding board and my first reader is my wife. Yeah, you know, She's the person that has to immediately kind of, and she'll give me brutal feedback. <laughs> uh, I, I, I write an essay uh, that goes on LinkedIn and in a newsletter uh, weekly. And one of the critiques I got from her, I don't know, about a month ago after I showed her a draft was this makes me want to slip, slip my wrists. You know, and that was the feedback that I got. Um, Well,
1: listen, honey, please don't sugarcoat it. (laughs)
0: Let's just go. Let's just go for the bone. Yeah, exactly. And so I said, well, okay, um, I guess I'll (laughs) shelve that one and start over, Um, because I tend to be a little bit stoic, which can at times go into existentialism. You know, and so, you know, again, this probably goes back. Um, to the martial arts and the Zen training I had when I was younger is that I kind of like look at things as they are uh, versus how I necessarily would want them to be. Cause I, I do think that foundationally you have to strip things down to be radically accepting, accepting of what is before you can build. Right. And, yeah. and, um, and so at times in writing, if you're not careful, that I can come across as being very bleak.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, but I think, you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting we're, we've already gone to this place, John, because um, for me, um, you know, the, the basis of my private work, the one-on-one work I do with people like you who are top of the game, is the first statement I make is, you've been looking in the wrong place. And people go, what do you mean? And I say, you've been looking at what brings you happiness, what brings you comfort. Those are terrible places to look. Right, right. You have to look at your pain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And they go, but I don't want to go there. You know, that bleak, right? And I go,
0: yeah.
1: that's where the treasure is. Yep. You yep. got to go to that. You got to face that pain. Look at that pain. You know, whether it's Campbell or Young or whoever it is, you mm-hmm. know, we must enter into that dark cave. It's, it's what Luke Skywalker had to do when he went into the cave and he faced... Darth Vader, it's what Ray did in the latest uh, versions of Star Wars. It's Mm -hmm. in all of the dark, all of those transformational stories is this step into the bleak, into the dark, into the facing the thing that is terrifying. But as a society, we're driven towards comfort and happiness. And the truth is not found there.
0: No, it's funny because, you know, all those things are based on Joseph Campbell's, you know, methodologies of, you know, uh, what's it, The Hero with a Thousand Faces. The with a
1: Thousand Faces, yeah.
0: And, and I totally agree with that. And you know, what was interesting, um, is I, I had to do that same thing, uh, and start looking at like what it is that's not serving me because I had this conversation yesterday with a, uh, a young executive and he said, he goes, I'm 30 years old and I'm got a great job and I'm working till 11 o'clock at night. I have a girlfriend, and he goes, you know, it seems like you're able to do other things beyond your day job. How do you do that? Because he said, I'm a, I'm a musician, but I don't play music anymore. I don't play guitar anymore. Uh, there's no time. And I said, whoa, 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 there's, there's time. And what you have to do, um, you know, is look at the uncomfortable reality of your day. Uh, the reality is I, I said, like, here's my thinking. I, and I did this for a long time too. People spend a lot of time kind of disintermediating reality mm-hmm. so it can be on one level you know because it's painful so instead of looking in that cave that you're talking about Dove what they're doing is they're stopping looking at that cave by looking at their phone you know looking at social media is one distraction. another distraction literally is working too much That way I don't have to think about my life mm-hmm. another distraction even in a positive way is working out too much you mm-hmm. know like if you're just obsessively in the gym five days five hours a day, uh, anything that goes to an extreme, including alcohol, drugs, you know, sexual addiction, um, watching way too much TV—all these things kind of tie into a way of like distracting yourself from what is. And so, I'm a big advocate of of meditating um, because meditation requires you to sit still and allow the monkey mind to kind of like chatter away. But then eventually, if you if you are, you know, consistent with it. And you follow your breath, the sounds will start to dissipate, mm-hmm. you know, and then the muddy water will start to then come down uh, into clear water over time. Right. Um, but as a creative person, you know, and I, I was thinking about this the other day. W- one of the things that we have to be um, comfortable with is being in a constant state of discomfort, you know, because, you know. And so, I think that's one thing that creative people by nature are comfortable with and they're very uncomfortable when things start to become status quo and regulated. Absolutely. You know there's there's a sense of like I'm not growing because you're not. You're not yeah. you're not pushing yourself, you're not changing anything. You're going down the same you're driving the same way to work every day. Yeah. You're drinking at the same cafe every morning. And there's a certain comfort in that on one level. Sure. But I encourage taking a different route occasionally getting lost uh, occasionally, trying to
1: Neurologically, it's important. Our yeah. brain functions better if we give it more variety. Yes. But our propensity psychologically is towards comfort uh, yes. because the ego mind says uh, that safe and same are equal. Yes. <laughs> and so the more it's the same, the more it's safe. And uh, and so comfort, Because so I said earlier, that comfort becomes this compelling thing, but it's actually the most suffocating thing. And I think that artists, I know for me, artists, we have to, I've known artists on both sides of this and neither of them have ever appeared to me to be um, wholehearted, whole-souled, connected. And that is, on one side is the chaotic artist Mm -hmm. who who, who thrives in chaos. And on the other side is the artist who is very zen and very quiet. But I think that real art is the ability to go to either as yeah. needed. Yeah. Um. I know that I I live, I literally live in the downtown core of my city, mm-hmm. but I'm on the water, and you can you can be here any time of the day or night, and it's quiet. Nobody know, know I'm in a city. Mm-hmm. I'm in the I'm in the city center right now, but I'm on the edge of the water, and I love that I'm 12 minutes walk from my office, which is in the downtown core. But I've got the water right behind me it's super quiet. I have to actually have both. Mm-hmm. I need the quiet but yeah. I need the chaos to be there and that is what stimulates me. I know that you know I've been on 10 day vipassanas and I've done many of those and they're wonderful and I need them mm-hmm. but I also know when I need to go okay I got to get into the market and I got to wander around and watch oh, yeah. the people right? yeah it's very uh, you interesting
0: you and I have a similar we have a similar dynamic. Um, my wife and daughter and I live in Topanga. Uh, Topanga is near Malibu in, in Southern California, and it's up in the mountains. And so, literally, um, right now, I'm doing this from Santa Monica, which is, you know, in the city of LA, and it's a very vibrant, you know, very much a, an urban environment. And then, at the end of a day, after spending a day in meetings and meeting with people in front of screens and technology, and I moved from that to driving on PCH, which is the highway going north to you know towards Malibu. And and suddenly there's the Pacific Ocean, you know. <laughs> and and even though it's traffic and I'm I'm seeing the sunset and then there's a transitional stage from my hectic day into the day that as I drive into the mountains and, and there's gets darker and darker until finally I'm at my house and there's nothing but starlight above us. Right. And I realize now that that's been the balance that I've been missing yes. for a long time. I, I need to have both like you and cause the two play off of each other and they actually complement each other terribly. But if you're like, when I'm in New York for a long time and I love New York, but Oh mm. my God, you know, like after a while, it's just, I mean, I would need relief from that, Yeah, you know, and, and I understand the need for central park. You know, like it makes total sense Absolutely. that in the Absolutely. middle of this, you know, incredibly dynamic place, you have to have a place that you can get to and just get away from it. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah.
1: So one of the questions I'd like to start our, our show with is by asking our guests on the show, what are you finding yourself to be most curious about at this time? Because wow. certainly it's <laughs> not, an- You're going to be a curious guy. So what what do you find yourself most curious about these days?
0: Well, you know, I've I've gotten to that point of uh, middle age where I I started thinking more about like, what have I, what have I done? And what can I do to help the world in some sense? And it's interesting because so much, I'll I'll take design as an example, switching from art to design, you know, design um, is there as utilitarian, you know, um, practice, as I mentioned earlier, but also is there a way to think about design uh, that allows to use it towards helping large world problems, you know, like, mm-hmm. like climate change or cleaning the oceans and reversing, you know, dealing with the horrible fires that are currently, you know, raging in Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much brilliance within you know, agencies and within, um, tech companies, they're all geared towards, you know, you know, essentially making money, which is, you know, entirely, you know, fine. That's what we do. But taking a percentage of that thinking and taking a percentage of those people and focusing their brilliance towards larger world problems, you know, to me is an interesting kind of concept. Um, I'm not saying I'm doing this. I'm just saying that this is something that I've been toying with, you know, as I'm, I'm going through life is like, how do I go from like, um, the stage of my life where I was trying to, you know, accrete value for myself and my family to actually trying to service other people and society. Mm. And it sounds highfalutin and, you know, and cool, but I, I'm not exactly sure how to do it yet, but that's what I've been thinking about in general. You know, mm. how can we tell ta- how can we, make the world a better place you know like how can we actually help and it probably you know for me it comes from being a father you know and this is a little bit cliche but when you have kids you think what is the world that I'm giving over to them and what have I done you know like and what can we do to to better it and the good thing is I'm seeing a huge sea change uh, happening with like my daughter's you know 16 years old in her generation is radically different um, you know I thought that I was relatively progressive. You know, but compared to my daughter, I'm, I'm an, you know, you know, old fossil. So, you know, um, it gives me great hope that her generation is going to be capable of, you know, affecting change, you know, hopefully not too late, but hopefully, you know, something that's going to help. So that's one of the things I'm thinking about.
1: I love the fact that you are thinking about, or you're curious about how art and creativity can save the world. Yeah. Um, Because certainly within our generation, at least um, there's been this idea that art and creativity, you know, uh, I know when I was a kid, it, you know, it was a, it was a poo pooed thing. It was, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not really the thing to do. Um, And, and, and that it doesn't have real, as you were saying earlier, you utilitarian place. But I think that, in many ways, it does. And I, and I, I love that you're curious about, about how art and creativity... Because, I mean, like we were saying before about artists and women, I mean, if nothing else, it's the sharing of the message. I mean, one of the things that really sticks out in my mind around this is that amazing image, and I'm trying to remember the name of the artist, who did it of Barack Obama during Barack Obama's...
0: Shepherd with, Ferry.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. just that image was so amazing got so burning brains right you know and and, you know and it was yes we can and hope right and it was you know this this image of hope Mm -hmm. and it was now whether it becomes real or not that's a whole other discussion we could get into that's not my point but my point is that art was used in a way to 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 bring attention to Mm -hmm. and and i i think that that is very powerful yeah i I love that you're going there
0: yeah, no, I think um, my my big basic premise is that art requires rebellion, you know, like, did I and I believe that the world needs creative thinking more than ever right now. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by rebellion is that, you know, when you're a teenager, you question everything and you question authority and everything is incredibly meaningful to you. Like you you are uh, passionate about that rock band, you, you know, you're passionate about the books you've re- you're reading. And, and what happens over time is that we by around 28, we're like, "Oh, I guess I got to get a job, a real job." Yeah. You know, and, and whatever that fire in you starts to be diminished, because the moment you're in a, like a temp job and you're in a, a room full of cubicles and you're wearing a clip on tie and you're just going, "What happened to my rock and roll dreams?" And then the next thing you know, you're in a relationship and then you're potentially needing to, you know uh, get married, have a kid. And then suddenly you're pushing 40 and you're wondering, well, where was my rock and roll? Where's my guitar? And, and the thing is that the rebellion gets beaten out of us. It gets yeah. you know, taken out of us over time. And, and without that sense of questioning, then you get into the acceptance, usually in your early 30s of like um, religious doctrine or you know, political doctrine or whatever, you know, fill in the blank, because life is too hard now. Mm -hmm. You know, like you you were responsible for mortgage and rent and and you need simple answers, you know, like just give me something so I can just like deal with it and you know, and this again comes back to the disintermediation of reality, you know, whether it's, you know, you know, I'm not comparing, you know, these things directly, but these are coping mechanisms in a lot of ways. Of course that. And so the question, you know, that you're talking about earlier about looking into that dark space, that's rebellion. That's yes. saying I'm going to uh, question the status quo of how I've been zombie-like walking through life and then I'm going to do something different. And there's a huge uh, terror in that for a moment. But when you do it, you, you suddenly have this incredible sense of liberation. Like, oh my God, I didn't have to live this way?
1: Yes. It's like
0: it's like you've been gaslit by right. society for Absolutely. a long time. And I remember hearing this this quote a long time ago that the only law that's universal is the law of physics. Everything else is made up by yeah. humans. You know, Absolutely. dress codes, societal codes, oh, all geez. this, you know, is all made up. And if you read Sapiens by, um, you know, yeah. the, the book Sapiens, uh, No Harari, it actually talks about the fact that even the idea of a nation state is a collective hallucination. The idea of value and money is a completely agreed Absolutely. upon hallucination Absolutely. that we all decide that, yeah, just so we can all live together, we're going to agree that that's true. And and, and you need these mechanisms in life, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that, but on the micro level, on day-to-day level, there's a lot of sublimation of the individual spirit that is put into place, you know, like, and, and if you think about the schooling system, that was based upon the Industrial Revolution, right? Like, you know, yeah. you needed people who did their one job over and over and over and over. So you put them into classrooms where they have the teacher come in and you have first period, second period, third period, and you're stuck in a chair the whole time. And then by the end of the day, you're not inspired. You're completely just exhausted from memorizing stuff to become a a part of a machine. So again, you know, for me, I think a huge amount of the things that maybe my problem is that I never got out of that rebellious stage. (laughs) You know, like when I read Herman Hess, that was a revelation to me, you know, as a teenager. You know, the, those are the things that really, uh, in, didn't just read it once. I mean, Nietzsche meant something to me.
1: Right. You
0: know, it continues to.
1: Me too. Anyway. So I want, to com- I want to come into the whole thing around rebellion in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, it was where I want to go next. Uh, what I want to say, first of all, for you, uh, listeners and viewers, is this, this episode is brought to you by TheAwesomeMusicProject.com. It's connecting music, science, and story to enhance mental health. You can find out more about the Awesome Music Project and the M Foundation at theawesomemusicproject.com. It's it's something I really believe in. I was part of the the first book that was released on it. It's a beautiful Mm -hmm. coffee table book. I encourage you to actually go out and grab it um, because they are actually tying science to music and the power of that in changing mental health. You know, we're chasing drugs a lot of the time, and what we really need to do is to, to look at what uplifts our spirit, which is actually really, in many ways, where we're going with this conversation.